Yeah, so actually, since we were kind of going that direction, uh, so obviously PRI influences what you do to at least some extent. Um, are you, so I guess the trend I've seen is that a lot of people who were using it, it was like everything, you know, it was like everything was PRI and then um, talking resilience, some of the people that we have to perform, some of the people you see are not necessarily moving away from it, but it, like, it's not so heavily influenced where everybody just goes on their back in 90-90 and fixes every problem in the yeah. world. Um, so I would guess my question would be like, where, how much is PRI influencing what you're doing now? How are you doing it? What are some like mainstays and main focuses that are PRI influence that you're like kind of always using? And what are some that you're just like, eh, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say I'm just more or less trying to integrate some of the concepts as best I can into like standard fitness exercises. Um, okay. Just because uh, number one, a lot of the, a lot of the, PRI exercises. Um, some of them, this isn't true, but other ones, it's kind of like there's so much coordination involved with performing the task of it that the individuals doesn't necessarily feel like they're working very hard. So if you have someone who feels like they need to make a, have a hard exercise to, to do them any good, um, then you're going to lose their buy-in. Um, so if you're able to incorporate it with a fitness exercise that does challenge them, um, it, now you have kept them bought in. Um, secondary to that, there's a lot of people who just, I mean, you know, from working in general population, like there's people who just don't have the coordination to do some of those exercises. Um, so it, that kind of limits your scope of how much like PRI you would be doing. Um, and then I don't, I've kind of gotten away from the asymmetry side of things a little bit where it's, it's kind of like you always do something on one side and always do something on another side, just cause I feel like that feeds into uh, more of like a, like a scarcity mindset for the individual where they're a little bit more fearful of doing things. Um, whereas, I mean, the ultimate goal for somebody is to be alternating and reciprocal. So they should be able to do something on both sides and most PRI stuff and really some of the stuff that you're doing in the gym, that's fairly low level, you know, they should be resilient enough to be able to do that on both sides and not you know, go off into a tizzy of symptoms getting flared up. So, um, yeah, my, my, the big thing that I just kind of preach with maybe, maybe there is something where I feel an asymmetry is contributing to it, but in that case, then we'll do two on the left and one on the right. Or even if I feel like it's the right side asymmetry, then we might do two, two on the right and mm -hmm. one on the left. Um, but then also the more you, the more you combine it with fitness, now you're also able to work strength, capacity, general physical preparedness and, and hit all those qualities at the same time. Whereas yeah. it, none of the PRI exercises do that. Um, and, right. and that's, that's their biggest pitfall. I feel is it just, just lack of lack of, uh, contribution of strength endure endurance from the standpoint of muscular endurance. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, just, you know, general physical preparedness. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So there's uh, so this big article I have here, they kind of have a lot of these, um, common PRI tests so I'm trying to find them uh, oh come on so like the first one is kind of I guess what we would learn as the Obers test 
Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, they call it, I guess PRI calls it the adduction drop test. Yep. Um, so obviously, like in school, we learned that this is um, seeing the tightness of the IT band, which um, is what school says. Now, I guess my question, the better, my thought process, so what the better way to look at it is if someone can extend and then like, extend through the hip, not the low back, and then can they adduct? they take it in this little paragraph here, they take it a step further and that gives you an idea of where the femoral head is in the acetabulum, um, which I guess makes sense because if it could extend and then adduct, then it's, I guess, centered, right? It's not anterior, posterior or any malposition like that. Um, are, I, it's, it's such a common test. Do you use it frequently? Do you, like, what value do you place on it? Like when are you kind of saying, oh, let's, we got to test these two qualities or combination of? Yeah, I use it quite a bit. I, I probably don't use it as much as I did like one or two years ago, but I still mm -hmm. use it all the time. Um, I prefer the Obers test over the Thomas test um, just because I think it gives you more information. Um, so it's a more useful test to do. And it's usually pretty comfortable for the patient to do, whereas Sometimes the Thomas test is just kind of like an awkward test for people to get into just with their legs draping over the edge of the table and laying down. Um, but um, <clears throat> as far as, so like what school teaches you is, you know, hundred percent false there yeah, with the IT I, band. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the paper, it's uh, investigation of the Obers tests. There might be some other words in there, but um anatomical investigation of the Obers test. I believe that's what it is. So uh, it, what they did is they cut the IT band in cadavers um, and uh, there was no change in the Obers test. So what they're thinking that it has to do is either it's um, capsule related, um, it could be glute mead related, uh, and then it could also be position related too. So um, if nothing more, it narrows it down to those three things. Um, what I like the over, well, so if I'm looking at position, I'll actually consider more of like a straight hip flexion test uh, more now. Um, just a so supine like a knee, hip flexion. Supine, knee to chest, checking hip flexion. Yeah. And just getting a sense of what somebody feels. So if they're feeling a lot of like pain, pressure in the front side of the hip, or if they can't get their hip, you know, past 90 degrees, um, knee not being able to to flex past 90 degrees is a bigger problem than someone just feeling a little bit of pressure at 120 degrees. But um, that, that to me gives a little bit better indication of like the hip socket Position. orientation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then, I mean, it's, it's kind of like you're doing the, um, oh, what is the test? Uh, Craig's test. Um, Craig's test is the one for antiversion, retroversion, right? I think so. I was horrible at memorizing the name, like <laughs> the last yeah. names of all. I, I've never used that test, quite honestly. I know it's used by some people and in some research, but um, I just like it more from a standpoint of like, the, so in that test, whether I got the name right or not, that test you're laying prone and you're trying to feel for like the, the greater choke canner. So yeah, you're, yep, you're I didn't, moving help patient out of it. Um, just by having them flex their knee straight up. And the biggest thing is most people, when they check hip flexion, like they'll let the 
the tibia do whatever they want to do. So like the foot sometimes can be biased into bias the hip into external rotation simply because they didn't keep the tibia parallel. Straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, when you do the hip flexion, you, you want to make sure that the hip stays in hip flexion the whole entire time, because if you right. start allowing the knee to fall out or the foot to move inward, now you're just bi- you're biasing them into like the scapular plane for the hip. Um, mm-hmm. so I mean, that tells you a lot because it tells you, okay, the hip is probably oriented and the socket is probably oriented in that fashion to where it wants to kind of, uh, turn out like that. So it'd be more, um, it'd be more retroverted at that point in time. But, um, so that, that's what I use for more of an orientation standpoint is just yeah. how, how much force do I have to use to keep them parallel, um, mm. and not bias themselves into internal or external rotation. Um, and then what's, how far of hip flexion do they get and what's the, the feeling of that hip flexion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use that to give me a little bit better judgment of position. Uh, and then the Obers test, um, it tells you a bunch of different things because you can, when you initially set somebody up and you get them kind of in that fetal position laying on their side mm-hmm. um, and you, you pick the leg up and you move it around. Um, one of the first things I'm checking, I'm not actually making any, I'm not even worried about hip extension of the top leg. I'm just seeing how well can they keep their hips stacked on top of each other. Okay. Cause many times you'll just notice the top hip just roll backwards. Um, and so what that tells you is if they can't internally rotate their anominate on their femur very well on the downside leg, um, because they're rolling backwards. I don't know if I, okay. maybe I can draw that and that might make a little bit more sense. If they're cool of it. So the yeah, considering it from the bottom angle. So you can see that, right? Stylus is not working. This is going to make it a lot harder to do it with a mouse. Um, okay, so one leg's there. Um, this is the bottom leg, flexed to 90. And then you got the top leg kind of back like this. Mm-hmm. So when you're in this position here, whether you're looking at hip extension or not, but the further you take them into hip extension here, the more you'll notice that. So if this is the greater trochanter right here, mm-hmm. the more you'll notice that rolling back towards you um, when you're doing the test. Right. Um, so you have to use your hand as a counter right. to make sure it doesn't do that. But uh, getting an indication of, you know, if I have to put a lot of force to keep that hip there, you, you know there's some resistance in the downside hip to be able to um, – orient itself into internal rotation or a stance leg position. Does that make um, sense? Yeah. The bot, I understand the movement, what's happening at the top hip. Um, why is that indicative of the bottom hip? I guess is my question or the bottom side, you know? Yeah. So is, is it, it almost like the ability to, 
uh, I'll say dissociate the kind of top hemi pelvis from the bottom hemi pelvis, like have them in different orientations. Correct. Um, your depends on which phase of the gates. So, like if you if you look at this like a gait cycle, like this person would be in a stride stance right. position. So, if we call the downside leg its stance leg, mm -hmm. um, you would expect if we're in mid stance anyways, you would expect yeah. that the the pelvis is rotated over top of that fixed femur there, right? So that the yep. innominate is positioned in internal rotation. Um, I, yep. So if if they if you if you struggle rolling them into that position, then they're gonna struggle to achieve mid stance um, in the gait cycle from a pelvic orientation standpoint. That that makes sense. The other thing you'll see is maybe you push the hip forward, but because this is not in closed chain, you're in open chain, you'll see the foot rise up off the table. Um, mm -hmm. And so they're, they're biasing themselves into external rotation by doing that. So then, you, again, you know that uh, they can't internally put themselves into a mid-stance internal rotation position very well. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's something that I'm looking at uh, as I do that. That's usually actually the first thing that I look at. And then I'm looking at, okay, how well is the knee, hip, and shoulder on a nice straight line? Um, or does, as I extend the knee, does that create like a, an arch? Does that, that create an back. arch at their, uh, at their low back? Yeah. Or, or sometimes it doesn't even look like there's an arch there. Um, but they say that, you know, I feel it in my back. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another it just indication to me that okay they're probably somewhat extension bias right um with that so those are the bigger things that i kind of look at uh and then i mean if they can't do either or either or of those um there's no sense of really looking at adduction um yeah because they can't get into position to because once you do adduction here at the top leg now you're putting them into mid stance at the top leg um mm -hmm. so that uh, there's no sense of checking, um, checking the top leg if they can't line everything else up into a position that's you know relative, relatively in a straight line. Right. Okay. That yeah. No. That that makes sense. The linking it to the gate, um, actually, like somewhat walking makes yeah. uh, kind of clears it up a little bit more. Um, yeah. Okay. That 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 definitely makes sense. Um, so I guess a similar question. So like they kind of use a supine, just, um, I guess, passive range motion, shoulder internal rotation test to indicate, I guess, like a rib cage position, like flared or, um, or not flared. Um, so is that something, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So like they, they would say on the right side typically you're going to find a limited internal rotation on the left. It uh, is usually fine, like usually a negative test. That's what this article is yeah. saying. PRI would say that the right, sh right shoulder internal rotation would be limited and that would be normal yep. pattern. Yeah. Right, all right. Yeah, that would exactly. Um, is that something you were thinking about or are you just checking internal rotation? If you need to check that, just see what the difference is. Are you thinking this yeah, way or you kind of you'll just... definitely notice it a lot i mean it, the, what they 
talk about the pattern like the more you start looking for it the more it, you, you see it in everything um mm-hmm. again the i so when you go to a pri course they they wow you with being able to change the range of motion drastically um not in every circumstances but they're also very good at uh, being a, a clinician and knowing pattern recognition as far as who's going to make a quick change and who isn't. So that's why they never pick somebody who isn't going to make a quick change. So they always look successful. Um, like granted, medium, right? to a certain extent, they, they probably can do it in a lot more people than, you know, the majority of people who are just, you know, gradually exposed to their science. Um, but and it does work for a lot of people to be able to change that range of motion, but range of motion isn't always you know, pain is so multifactorial range of motion. Isn't the only factor that can influence pain. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it it might change the range of motion. Um, Most of the time when they test it on somebody, that person isn't really painful either to begin with. So, you know, does it really matter that they changed it? Um, I don't know for somebody it could definitely, but uh, for other people, it might not be a range of motion thing. That is the biggest, uh, biggest factor contributing to their pain. Um, So, does it does it matter um if you think it matters yeah (laughs) so i I look at total i look at total shoulder range of motion that's where i make my judgment like if they don't have total shoulder range of motion of 180 degrees or their whereabouts um Mm -hmm. then they have a shoulder range of motion issue um Mm -hmm. and you probably need to start improving shoulder range of motion um if they have 180 total degrees of shoulder range of motion and they are limited in IR, then it's, it's usually a positional thing. Um, so then uh, it's a matter of if you feel position needs to be addressed. So in that instance, you would, you would ask yourself, how much is, how much do I feel is biomechanics playing a role in everything and load distribution? So you have, you can have an, uh, an overload, scenario from you know a simple programming standpoint um Mm -hmm. somebody somebody working out and not necessarily giving themselves enough rest time period or just doing too much of the same exercise over and over again Mm -hmm. or sport related um they're just not ready for the the demands of the sports they're throwing um or you you could have a you know the, the the programming doesn't seem that unreasonable um and when they perform the task, it's very clear that they're always biased in a, in a certain way and they can't, um, they can't shift out of that tendency or shift out of that biased position all the time. Um, just to give you a different example from a completely different body part, because I think it'll make more sense. Um, think of uh, like knee position. Um, so if someone who's always kind of like duck-toed and toed out um, in their femur is still oriented in a little bit more internal rotation relative to the the tibia. Um, You know, that that's that individual's genetic tendency. Um, It's not always a problem though. Um, But sometimes it is a problem. Um, And sometimes you do need, it's not a bad thing to teach variability to be able to get them to be able to shift out of that tendency. Um, in certain instances, based upon their history and what they're telling you, you, you think variability is a bigger component to their pain than, say, like 
again, general physical preparedness. Maybe they just need to build more capacity and they'd be fine. Um, but if they have pretty good capacity and their, their overall programming from an external standpoint um, is pretty solid, uh, then you're starting to think more and more biomechanic related as far as uh, not distributing forces uh, equally through their, their joint structure. That okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, no, the, it's just more like critical analyzing the things that could be causing the pain instead of just saying one, one thing is always the culprit of it and trying to always improve yeah. that one thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, when I, like, this was a big article that um, my, the guy who's going to be my CI at rehab to perform, he gave me a bunch of readings. This big PRI yep. one was one of them. Um, and you read something like this and at least I get I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm not doing it. Like this isn't my thought process. Like it's just different. And it's yeah. like, Oh, I need to do exactly. But every time you read a new article, it's like, Oh, it's, that's what I'm missing. That's what I'm missing. So it's helpful to kind of, um, then I have to remind myself, well, no, it's just part of the picture. But then when you, like when I talk to someone like you or, you know, it's like, it kind of reinforces, well, this is how it's really used. You know, there's only so much you could describe in a paragraph. Um, Right. which is the limitation of just a reading an article without talking to someone, Hey, how are you actually using this? Um, you know, what, when are you assessing it? Why does it matter? What is it changing f from a intervention right. standpoint? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, uh, it makes more sense. Like when I, you describe, okay, yeah, that's the article is not wrong, but this is really how it's used on a more deeper basis. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's hard to do that. It's hard to just kind of keep looking at it from a standpoint, you know, if something works then it's like, you know, I want to try this on everybody kind of a thing, but it, it doesn't work on everybody for a reason. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's, I kind of use this analogy too. like it, it, Tom, you like Tom Brady, you're a Michigan person. So you should, yeah. I don't know. There's yeah. some Michigan people who don't like, it. so like he doesn't <laughs> learn how to throw a football every single off season, he just right. learns how to read defenses and apply an offense to a particular defense that is going to work for him. Um, like that's what he focused most of his time on. Granted, I don't know actually know that. I'm just kind of assuming. Um, right. But uh, like if I was in that scenario, that would be what I'd be focusing most of my time on. There's no sense of learning how to throw a football. I already know how to throw a football. So why why do I need to learn a new skill all the time? Granted, new skills are necessary sometimes, but many times it's just being able to apply the apply the skill in a way that's fit for the individual. Um, mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need a bunch of different skills, and that, that's where the whole like get more tools for your toolbox um, kind of saying came from. But if if you don't know how to use those tools given a scenario, then no, the tool doesn't make the person. Uh, just like the the paintbrush doesn't make the artist, the artist makes the paintbrush work for them. Um, mm -hmm. So you have to be, th that's where the art comes into play of coaching as opposed to like the science of, yeah. science of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, d definitely. That's uh help definitely puts it more of a practical perspective, which is the point of all of this. Um, 